0: every client's goals do change. We don't say, oh, you told me your goals 10 years ago. And so now you have to stick with that. And I'm going to hold you accountable. (laughs) No, we want to walk alongside our our clients and be a partner with them and, and be a sounding board for new ideas. And we recognize that goals change, that circumstances change. And that's kind of the beauty of that financial planning process is that it's really not just a static document that you manufacture one time and then you stick it on a shelf and never look at it again. It's a living, breathing, moving process that grows with you over time.
1: Welcome to the Generosity Now podcast, where we bring you inspiring stories of generosity and whole life stewardship. Our goal is to showcase individuals and organizations making a positive impact in our communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Lori Bossert, Vice President of the National Christian Foundation, Rocky Mountains Region, and I'm joined by my incredible co-host, Eric Most, President of our office. Eric, how are you today?
2: You know, I'm doing great. I'm. It It is a beautiful day here in Colorado. It's getting cool out. Um, Really uh, excited! Got a fun event. I'm taking Hudson, my oldest son, to a a charity event tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun, and so doing really good. Thank you for asking.
1: Good. Well, it's good to see you in the office after your week of vacation too. So we're happy to have you back.
2: Yes, yes, glad to be here.
1: Fun to be here today. We have Rachel McDonough joining us again. Rachel is a faith-based certified financial planner and a certified kingdom advisor with over 18 years of experience in empowering faith-driven investors to pursue a double bottom line of financial returns and positive social impact. For this episode, we're going to be discussing the great wealth transfer. Thanks for joining us, Rachel. We appreciate you being here with us in our Denver office.
0: We just had a great ladies' lunch together, didn't we? We did. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor and a privilege to meet all the wonderful women at our lunch event today. What a dynamic group of leaders and just really visionary, uh, catalytic people in their own circles. Such a tremendous privilege.
2: I know I'm not supposed to jump in too much today, but uh, Rachel, you are our first guest to be back on the podcast. Woohoo! So our second visit <laughs> with, with the podcast. So thank you for coming on again with us.
0: Oh, it's great to be here again and your office space is gorgeous.
2: Well, we uh, we love it. So, thank you.
1: Rachel, as I said, we're going to talk about the great wealth transfer and I can admit that I've heard this term so much and I have had a struggle unpacking it because people in the financial arena seem to understand what it is. Even though I'm in the financial arena, I hadn't understood it. And so that's where can you just unpack this a little bit for me? Yeah, oh,
0: that'd absolutely. Be great. Well, I'll tell you, first of all, why the great wealth transfer is really important to wealth advisors like myself. The main reason being that most people, when they inherit a sizable amount of wealth, do not stay with their parents' financial advisor. So it's been important for us to um, be aware of the next generation and understand how they think differently about money. And then in hopes of, of course, retaining some of those clients of our own, um, we want to be well prepared as industry professionals to serve the next generations uh, starting out in my career, of course, you know, baby boomers were the ones silent generation. They were the ones who had the wealth. So we were sort of trained to cater to their preferences and their style of, of wanting to receive service. And of course, millennials and Gen Xers are just very different in the way that they think about money and the way that they want to be served.
1: I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, Rachel, but baby boomers and silent generation, what was unique about those generations for them? As you think about it, I would guess that it was a very, those generations were very much run by the males in having the conversations about finances.
0: Yeah, you think of the silent generation. So that would be people born 1925 to 1945, the parents of the boomers. That generation, of course, was very traditional in that wives often did not work at all outside of the home. Um, And then as the boomers came along, those were people born in 1946 to 1964, you could definitely see a lot of change starting to come with um, more women coming into the workforce in that generation than ever before. But even still, we were seeing still a lot more kind of male-led financial decision-making even in the boomer generation. Right. And those women were actually
1: going to work because it was, their husbands were away at war and they needed to still be able to, and they were doing their part here and also providing for their families um, if they had lost their spouses. So I know that that, those generations are just different. That's where a lot of the women started really coming back into the workforce, even as mothers.
0: Yeah. so And then you have the Gen Xers where both parents were often working. This is kind of called the latchkey generation. Um, You may have heard that term before, but they were used to being pretty autonomous and independent. And that shows up, but not surprisingly in the way that they make financial decisions. And then the millennials as well. Just, I mean, if you think of how much the world has changed just in the past uh, couple of decades, really just amazing amount of transformation. So People thinking and making decisions about money very differently.
2: You know, uh, Rachel. One thing you said it's uh, important to um, you and others in the financial services industry to kind of even think about discrete wealth transfer and and cater that. Start thinking about how do how do we cater to a different set of clients and the fact that many people will transition their advisors away from their parents' advisors and things like that. Is it not also true that um, inherited wealth also often doesn't really go well?
0: It is true.
2: (laughs) And most people aren't really prepared for inherited wealth.
0: That's very, very insightful, Eric. Um, There are some statistics I don't have offhand, but overwhelmingly the majority of people who inherit a large sum of money find themselves back in exactly the same socioeconomic situation that they were in prior to inheriting within just a few years.
2: Yeah. And that, that's why we're talking about this today. Cause it's, it's, it's that important that, that we don't see these things. Um, uh, that- that that inherited wealth doesn't cause issues, um, mm. and um, and also doesn't, um, and that that people are prepared for it. So thank you for being here for this conversation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've seen it go well, and I've seen it go poorly, and so I'd be happy to just share whatever experiences I can to help our listeners.
1: So the millennials and the Gen Xers sound like they're going to be the greatest inheritors of this wealth. Do we think that they're ready?
0: Well, naturally. Some are and some are not for each generation. So we're just going to talk in generalities today. But Gen Xers in general tend to be more skeptical and that it does extend to their financial choices as well. They tend to be research-oriented, which can help them make solid financial decisions. They also tend to be very independent and self-reliant. So around 80% of Gen Xers believe that they have an intermediate to advanced grasp Of personal finance fundamentals. So that would cover all topics, including insurance, investing, taxes, and so on. And of course, there are pros and cons to this confidence, right? It is, confidence is wonderful, but it can be overconfidence, right? Sometimes we don't know when we're too confident and we don't know which questions to ask because we don't know what we don't know. So the independence and the willingness to kind of roll their sleeves up and do the research is a powerful positive in their favor. Uh, Perhaps the the con to that then is that, are they really asking for wise counsel? Are they seeking outside perspective from somebody who maybe could help them identify their own blind spots?
2: You know, as a person who was in the insurance industry before I joined the National Christian Foundation, um, I would say that um, I saw consistently that there was this confidence but not one that was rooted in facts, <laughs> right? Like what you just hit on in that overconfidence it is actually, I saw consistently being um, um, more of the right story. And, and also want to just circle back, like um, we we're talking about the great wealth transfer. And I think we, we, we missed it. Um, when we talk about like how much are we, we talking about that we're projecting as this great wealth transfer over the next like 20 years?
0: Yeah, so right now the estimate is about $84.4 trillion in assets that will move through the year 2045. Well, it's an enormous amount of wealth.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, you know, from just two years ago, all the same kind of research and papers was saying $63 um, trillion. So just in two years, that number has grown by over $20 trillion. That's yeah, amazing. 20 tr- trillion trillion. Absolutely unbelievable. So thanks, thanks for framing that for us.
1: And the other piece of that is most of that wealth is going to go to lifestyle, to investments. A small fraction um, is actually going to go to charities. And the, that's the part that I think is amazing. We heard, I think, on the research that there was a bigger percentage previously that would actually go to charities and not go to the heirs. But more and more of the percentage is rising of what's going to heirs. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. I'm fascinated with that whole independent and self-reliant. I'm a Gen Xer. I am absolutely independent and (laughs) self-reliant. I'm just going to admit it. Um, I'm barely, you know, I'm barely in that group. But I fit that, right? Um, I do fit that whole characteristic. um, And in that, I'm thinking, well, do I want to pay somebody for something that I don't need, you know? And I think, do I really need this? Do I really want to pay for that expertise? And in this world, that is a huge help is it also helps us get outside of ourselves Mm. and to really learn what we don't know. And those third-party people in our lives can sometimes really help us in our, and even unpacking what we truly believe by asking questions that we haven't thought about. Yeah.
0: I also personally identify with many of the Gen Xer traits. I've got kind of both camps a little bit that I personally relate to, but The independence, the autonomy, the kind of entrepreneurial spirit of the Gen Xers really fits for me. And one of the things that I would just share just personally is that I have chosen, even though I've got about 20 years of experience as a financial planner, I've chosen to hire financial planners myself. And I do that just like you said, Lori, because I need someone else's perspective. It's not just me and my husband getting together, even if we do a great job of trying to be in unity with each other, even if we're prayerful, we value the wise counsel of someone outside of our little bubble that can speak truth and can ask us the right questions, can help us hold accountability. I mean, accountability has this kind of bad reputation. I think sometimes it's like, oh, people are going to tell me what I'm doing wrong. No, no, no. Accountability is helping us lift our eyes to the proper version of ourselves that we want to move towards and having someone who's going to hold us accountable to our true identity and our true self to really live out the calling that God has for us. And that's not something that we can obtain by just giving ourselves a pep talk. I totally agree. And that's that the point,
1: I keep coming back to a vision in my mind of Mike and I can can hold ourselves accountable somewhat, but when we speak some of our goals and our desires and where we want to go to somebody else and help have them help us implement that, we truly are living it out, not just thinking that we're living it out. Nice. And that accountability relationship is really, really helpful. We've really learned a lot from our financial advisor in that space.
0: Yeah. And let me just take maybe some of the, I think people feel anxious meeting with a financial advisor. It's like, why well, you go to the dentist? Oh gosh, did I floss enough this month? I think people feel that way sometimes about their financial advisors, too. But let me just assure you all that every client's goals do change. We don't say, oh, you told me your goals 10 years ago, and so now you have to stick with that, and I'm going to hold you accountable. (laughs) No, we want to walk alongside our our clients and be a partner with them and, and be a sounding board for new ideas. And we recognize that goals change that circumstances change. And that's kind of the beauty of that financial planning process is that it's really not just a static document that you manufacture one time and then you stick it on a shelf and never look at it again. It's a living, breathing, moving process that grows with you over time. Just so well said.
2: Thank you. Hey, how about we were talking about the uh, we were talking about the Gen Xers and um, and maybe as the uh, resident um, who lives in the millennial generation just barely, but <laughs> but, but but in the millennial generation, let, let's just talk about that generation just real quick and and give just a little bit of you know what what differentiates them over the Gen Xers and actually some of the statistics that I've heard is that more of this wealth that's being transferred is actually skipping the Gen X generation, which is, uh, Lori, you, Rachel, and, and it's coming to the millennial and actually then the, the Gen Z or Gen Alpha the next. I, for, I for, there's a couple of different names out there for the, for the generation after us that they're still trying to solidify, I think. But, um, um, and so that generation, let's talk about what makes them unique. Yeah. And then, and these uniquenesses though, be it, a a, a Gen Xer who's, re, who's inheriting a a, gen, a millennial or even a Gen Z and next. Um, they, they have different components to them and each of them have like different bents that they're coming to with, um, with how they're stewarding finances today and how we expect that to translate in the future.
0: You know, Eric, I think the millennials kind of had a bad reputation going for a while. <laughs> yes. They were sort of known as the $5 latte avocado toast generation that got trophies. Uh, there
2: are some of those. <laughs> there are some of those. Just to be clear. <laughs>
0: But I think when we when we take a step back and look at the generation as a whole, they've really matured and come into their own. They've grown up a lot. And we're seeing now that millennials are actually ahead of the curve in many ways when it comes to managing their finances. They're more likely to have clear stated goals and a written financial plan. 34% of them versus only 21% of Gen Xers and only 18% of baby boomers have a financial plan. They're also debt averse. You know, I was very shocked as I did the research for this podcast to learn that only 35, I'm sorry, only about 30% of them have a credit card at all. Like they're using debit cards or paying in cash. This is is very different from uh, previous generations. And the Gen Xers, even though they're a bit older and they may have more wealth, because they're more entrepreneurial and more risk-taking, they tend to carry a higher debt load. So the millennials, I think we got to maybe second guess if we've had a a bad reputation in our minds (laughs) about them. They're really coming into their own. They're very comfortable using technology to manage their finances and the financial tools that are available online. 35% of them have had experience with student loans and that's caused them to be careful about debt in general and just to prefer avoiding it whenever possible.
1: I love hearing this about the millennials because I do agree they've had a bad rap. And this is great knowledge to have. You think about just new tools that they've had and they're using them to be able to have, I mean, to use a financial app to track everything, to know where things are happening. That's fabulous. They're knowing where their money's going and they're they're making
0: conscious decisions. I love that you use the word conscious, Lori, because that's exactly what we're seeing is a very intentional generation. They are really the first generation where the majority of them, 59% say that they would actually pay more for an eco-friendly version of a product. That's the highest figure of any generation. So we're seeing millennials as people who really are driven by their values. We see this to a great degree with investing, where millennials are the generation. uh, Women are strong in this area too, but Millennials as a generation are very strong in their preference to align their investments with their values. Over 90% of those surveyed by Morgan Stanley, the millennials were the ones, those 93%, I believe, said that they would prefer to have investments that were clearly aligned with their social and ethical values.
2: And and to hear more about like that conversation uh, we had, that's the first conversation we had with you. So like go back and listen to the other episode with Rachel um, and where we talk about um, aligning our values um, with our money and our investments and how they they, they should not be counter to what we're uh, charitably inclined to and how our investments can be misaligned. So go back and listen to that podcast.
0: My favorite topic. We'll yeah. have to do it again sometime.
2: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> when someone inherits a lot of money, what are the steps that they
0: should take as that's happening? Well, inheriting a large amount of money, of course, we, we think of that as a good thing, right? It's a blessing to have an additional amount of wealth to steward. But the reality is it also brings along with it a test and an additional responsibility. So when I say a test, I mean, there's nothing like a big pile of wealth to pressure a person and squeeze them in a way that reveals whatever is on the inside of them. The money itself, the, the ways that it gets utilized almost becomes a mirror to reflect, you know, what's going on in that person's heart. Mm-hmm. And so I think my, my first uh, recommendation is really, uh, as I come with client, as I meet with clients who are coming into a new amount of wealth, is just to slow down. And give yourself the time to sort through the emotions and grief because that relative who left the wealth to the new inheritor is gone and the money really needs to be treated as a separate matter, right? So, so one of the experiences I had, I had an investor who was a successful family law attorney. Her parents left her a large inheritance, she was ready to make some type of career change. She was very stressed in her job. It was a very demanding and, and taxing profession. She knew she wanted to make some sort of change. And the wealth, to me as an outsider, looks like a nice opportunity to be able to, you know, change it up a bit, maybe mm-hmm. take a step back in her career, maybe change direction a little bit. But in her mind, the wealth still was very closely tied to her parents. And she said, you know, it's all that I have left of them, and I really can't afford to lose it. And so she took a very different risk posture around that resource. And I don't think she felt, you know, I'm not saying that her story didn't end this way, but it took a long time before she was able to feel free to utilize the resources effectively in alignment with her own priorities and values. And so I think one of the best things that we can do is just to slow down and not make any immediate decisions even if we feel like they're the right decisions, like even if we feel very confident that we know what we want to do, just slowing down a little bit. Like, for example, let's say you inherit a million dollars and you want to tie it off the top. Slowing down a bit can help you figure out how to do that in the most effective manner and which property really would be the right piece to give and which properties or assets would be the right ones to retain for other purposes. So, um... I think slowing down gives us time to grieve. It gives us time to think. It also gives us time to experience the, the, that test of character and to do some soul searching. I interviewed one of my clients in, in preparation for this interview with, with you all today. And they said, what was it like when you inherited a large sum from your father? I said, what were the, thing, what were the steps that you went through? And he said, the first one was that heart test. You know, he walked into church one day and said, I bet we're the only people here. And, you know, just in his own head, of course, didn't say it so loud. He said, I bet we're the only people here with X amount of dollars. And then immediately was repulsed by that thought. But we need to give ourselves time to sit with kind of what's within our own hearts and, and getting our identity really solidly from the Lord himself so that the wealth doesn't become somehow intertwined with our identity and who we are as people.
1: Rachel, I have a thought around that because a lot of people I talk to in some of the financial, they have some level of an expectation of what they're going to inherit. And I think they think they've processed what they would do with the money when they've inherited it. But I'm hearing from you that that, even before you get the money, thoughts could also be very different after you get the money and sitting and being patient and being thoughtful and giving some time would be really wise for people to because having the money is different than thinking you're going to get the money because all of a sudden you have to live out those values and are they aligned of what you thought you would do to what you really will do and have you given it thought once you actually have the ownership that weighty feeling of this is all my I have left of my parents. Those things don't happen without the emotions of also losing them.
0: Yeah, I think it is different when it actually happens versus the planning ahead or thinking ahead of, of time what it would be like or what you would do. Um, I also think that the the actual receiving of the the wealth, like that that is not the time that you want to start thinking about it. So I don't want to discourage anyone from planning ahead. And especially the identity piece, like getting our identity solidly squared away before it happens is amazingly valuable. Like that's probably the single most valuable thing that a person could do to be prepared for their next season, no matter what it is, whether it's inheriting or promotion or whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it is definitely a different feeling when it's in your account. Right. And that's that, just that take those few moments
1: once you actually do to really give yourself some time to sort through it all.
0: Yeah, I I think time to sort through it from an emotional standpoint and from a character development standpoint or spiritual standpoint. I think also taking time to get educated before you make decisions. Let's go back to our comments earlier about the Gen Xers. Again, confidence does not equal preparedness. Confidence is good, but taking time to get educated on all of our options helps us to make regret-free decisions that we're not going to later say, oh, I wish I would have thought about this first. Um, so taking time to get educated and being patient with yourself. One of the things that I've experienced working with clients, and this is, I think this happens more with widows perhaps than it does with generational transfers of wealth, but I've had several um, client engagements with newly widowed women who have not made financial decisions in the past. And it just takes time. You don't just sit down with your financial advisor and then understand all of your options and make Regret free investment decisions for the rest of your life. It just takes time. It takes time for that investment management and financial planning process to be authentically a manifestation of that unique individual's priorities and values. It takes time for them to learn about different products, to have experience being a participant in the markets. And it's just, it's okay that it takes time. We just, I think we somehow pressure ourselves to make things happen quickly. When in reality, a better outcome often happens if we let things unfold more slowly. Talk to us a little bit
1: about how it happens with married couples. And because one is the inheritance is actually coming from one side or another often in those at those times. And how does that play out for married couples when one's an inheritor?
0: Oh, yeah, this is oh, this is a very interesting uh, setup for a question, Lori. (laughs) So I've seen lots of things, like lots of unusual um, things that I would never have expected. So one example is there was a husband and wife where the wife inherited a large amount of wealth, but she was uncomfortable with financial decision making. So she was looking to the husband to give leadership in this area which, by the way, is not wrong. I think it's best done together, but it's okay if one person has more financial aptitude. That's not a, that's not a crime. <laughs> but then he was withholding and, and hesitant because he didn't want to be perceived as money-grubbing or trying to control her inheritance from her parents. So I would just say, you know, when we take our marriage vows, we say for richer or for poorer. And oftentimes we've lived through the poor, right? We've all kind of gone through bumpy patches together. If we've been married for more than a few years, you probably mm-hmm. had one of those where maybe somebody loses a job or there's a bankruptcy or whatever it might be. But let's not forget the richer is also part of what we vowed when we got married. that so we said, I'm going to be in this with you. And if this turns out to be that we inherit a windfall, then I will also be in this with you and we will make these decisions together and I will not withhold. I will trust your heart that you and I are married for the right reasons and the money doesn't change our connection, our relationship, and uh, we will make those decisions together and I will not abandon you in that process. Yeah. Our families of origins do come back and sneak
1: in even as we <laughs> get older, It, you know, with parents and sickness and inheritance. it. And we just need to be wise that we are, that we are a family unit. God put us together for a reason and we can help, um, in that space on some of that. So
0: let me just add one more. Can I add just one more tip? Um, cause I think this is useful. This is what we do with our clients, but you don't even need to hire a financial advisor to do this. This is something anyone could do on their own. Um, uh, make a list. If you're married, do this together with your spouse, but make a list of all of your priorities, so all the things that are important to you, they change over time. In different seasons, different priorities will kind of come to the top as the most important. And then try splitting the list in two pieces. The first piece being your current priorities, where you're actively going to allocate either income or assets to those priorities. Let's say um, you have five priorities, or let's say you have three. We'll just keep it simple. It's planning for retirement, giving generously, and saving for Johnny's college fund. If you're not able to do all three of those, you have to decide which one is going to wait until the future. So let's say you decide giving generously and preparing for retirement are going to be the ones that you're going to focus on currently. Those are your current priorities, and those are the ones you're going to actively allocate income or assets to right now. And then Still write down the future priorities. If saving for college is really important, but you're just not ready to get to it right now today, write it down anyway as a future priority so that you leave a placeholder for yourself to go back to and and acknowledge that that is still important. It's just not one that you're going to tackle right now. And then if a windfall comes, if an inheritance comes, if a promotion comes, if new income becomes available, you've already predetermined a thoughtful pathway for that capital to flow. And it's going to flow into those things that you've categorized as your future priorities. They're going to become your current priorities. You'll just bump them up the list.
1: I know that you had talked a little bit about widows and jumping back to that whole, the great wealth transfer. A lot of this is going to land in the hands of um, females, a lot of this it wealth yeah. and, and females often alone, but all of these tips can help them know, and you can do some of this planning even early on as you're both still married of being able to know this is where the money is. This is what it's for and where it's going. Um, and that's where we never want to stop those before the inheritance conversation. Right. Never want to stop those, but it can be somewhat different once the money comes in. You're
2: right. One thing I've heard you say, Rachel, as well um, before, um, and, and that is also like, don't go it alone. And like the importance of having um, trusted advisors, or even friends—people um, that you—we um, you, we, touched—we touched on this a little bit earlier about like accountability. That's not accountability. That's like a like a stick necessarily, but the importance of there. Um, yet, um, like, l- let's say that um, this inheritor—you know—they're not going to follow their parents' advisors be- for good reasons. Maybe mm-hmm. there wasn't values alignment there. Right. Maybe the the parents had chosen an advisor. Just because they had gone to college together, uh-huh. and there was not kind of a values alignment. And here, like on the Generosity Now podcast, I mean, we're uh, we, we're product of the the National Christian Foundation, right? And so I think we'd all advocate for for seeking out counsel that's got values alignment. And like, how do people find that? Like, what do you, what are your thoughts around? Um, what, what are your thoughts around finding values aligned uh, counsel, be it professional or even through um, you know through 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 friend groups and things like that.
0: Yeah, let me touch on the personal advisors first. I think we all need professional and personal advisors on our team. Uh, millennials by the way are great about this cuz they really appreciate and value mentorship. That's one of the traits of that generation. Um but having it this doesn't mean you you share your financial details openly with dozens of people. But let's say there's maybe one other couple or one maybe mentor type of person that you can just be really honest and transparent with and get specific about numbers and, and what's going on in your financial life. Having that person who is not uh, necessarily a paid advisor or a professional advisor, but just someone that can speak life wisdom and identity and purpose into your life. Those are really valuable relationships. And then when you're seeking a professional team of advisors, you know you probably will need a financial advisor, a tax professional, a lawyer, You'll probably need to pull together um, kind of a team of people, especially if you do have a large inheritance come in. But in those cases, you're looking for basically uh, two characteristics, I think. So just to keep it really simple, I will say two. And a and trustworthy advisor should have both of these characteristics. They are competence, professional competence, the ability to execute well in their craft, uh, someone look at, looking for someone who has professional designations and a reasonable amount of experience. And then the other one is integrity. And integrity can be a little bit harder to quantify. But I do think that, um, especially in the case of like a married couple, if if that professional advisor uh, passes the test, <laughs> sitting through a, a conversation with a husband and a wife, and they both feel comfortable and think that this is a person of integrity and they've asked all the questions they want to ask about fees and uh, conflicts of interest and all of that, then that can be a good way to just, you know, feel a little bit more secure that you've got the right person on your team.
2: I would even encourage, though, then a third point, though, and and again, going back to our conversation that we had with you um, on the previous co- um, podcast of having that faith alignment, I want competency to be up there though. Right. Like let's not, mm-hmm. let's not move, move faith alignment to the top of that list. <laughs> right. Um, because unfortunately we've all dealt with the Christian plumber. That's, you know, yeah. terrible. Right. Or, or, or somebody else who uses that like as the, 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 you know, this is who I am. I'm a Christian ex. but, um, but, but man, we want our, we want our investment strategies. We want our, our generosity, you know, um, strategies, to be aligned and not be working against each other. And so, right. um, so I'm a big fan of of seeking out that faith alignment and not just saying, hey, this is the best person that there is out there, mm-hmm. um, but man, they don't know the Lord in the, in the slightest and they are not going to be as aligned as I am seeking out the opportunities that I want to invest in.
0: Absolutely. In fact, the client that I interviewed who inherited the large sum from his father he said, we felt that actually we got by pretty easily, that we found you only the second try. Mm-hmm. He said, we, we hired one advisor. We, we did not want to work with our parents' financial advisor, so we hired one advisor. It was a terrible experience. He said, and we really anticipated that it may take us several tries to find the right person. I hope that's not discouraging to anyone. Uh, he said, but then we found you after only the second try, and we... Can confidently say now, looking back, because uh, you know things have we've had challenges in our client advisor relationship too, like everyone does when you're handling someone's entire net worth. You know sometimes things don't go smoothly, and sometimes there are emotional decisions or emotional moments or conflict along the way. But he said, I absolutely believe that because of our strong faith alignment and your understanding, like you're a missionary kid. He said, so we knew that you were right there with us in terms of valuing missions and alignment with our core values. He said, I think it was really our relationship in the Lord that kept our professional relationships so strong.
2: I'm wondering if there's like a list of like really good questions to ask as you're interviewing like a financial advisor or the CPA or the attorney. Um, You know, in Kim Kim King's book, When Women Give, there's like this great list of like 40 questions in the back, like how do you evaluate a nonprofit? And I think it's such an incredible list. Like if you've not looked at the list, I'm going to plug Kim King's book on that. Like go get her book and look at the list. It's like really, really great. Is there such a list out there for like somebody who's in this daunting task, right? They've just received this, this inheritance, which can be a blessing, but it can also be a, a, a very weighty thing. And they're, they're now trying to evaluate like the decisions, maybe, maybe even getting ahead of things prior to that receiving. Like, is there, I don't know, do you have any suggestions there?
0: I do have a few. So one, I think one good resource or one good starting point, if you're looking for a specifically a faith-based advisor, the CKA designation, the certified kingdom advisor designation, which is sponsored by kingdom advisors, uh, that list is people, it's a list of people who are already vetted for their professional competencies, and then in addition have done study on biblical applications for financial planning and have agreed to a statement where they are going to adhere to this goal of putting their clients' interests first. So I think that's a really good initial uh, place to look. Also, this is not faith-based, but it's really good in terms of kind of the competency piece. The CFP board, Certified Financial Planner Board, CFP.net, They've got a checklist of questions that you can bring to an, a, a meeting with a potential advisor and, mm-hmm. you know, help. I mean, this unfortunately, the wealth management industry is just not all that transparent and consumer friendly. Mm-hmm. And so you do kind of have to ask questions yeah. about how the advisor is compensated. And hopefully they'll be upfront and transparent with you. But if not, um, really important to ask and understand that going into it. But we really do want to empower
1: our listeners to know interviewing a financial planner is prudent it is the thing to do just because you set up a meeting does not mean you are committed long term to that relationship and knowing that they have a choice mm-hmm. it is something that they have a choice um and that you do want to align not to run quickly if there is one of those emotional conflicts but mm-hmm. um to really do some interviewing up front and looking for a connection in a fit appropriately mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I agree. And and staying with the parents' advisor is often not the best fit. You know, so even though I talked earlier about mm-hmm. helping us to get ready for that generational wealth transfer and and wanting to be ready to serve the next generation, we know that we won't be the right fit for every client. And so that is okay. That that's part of that's part of life in the, a service type of profession. Is that people do change advisors. And, um, it's important to kind of count the cost and understand what fees or expenses or tax consequences are going to come about with that change. Mm-hmm. but you should never feel locked into some type of professional relationship that just isn't a fit
2: all right. so we've been talking a lot about the receiver of an inheritance um but but hopefully we also have some listeners here that are actually thinking about leaving an inheritance. Mm-hmm. and so um and and we've we, You know, Lori and I, and many of us across NCF, we have conversations with really, really generous families that are very thoughtful and have kind of already put together some good plans but we've also put together, we've had a lot of conversations where people have not figured this out yet. Mm -hmm. And so what would be some like steps for those that are thinking about leaving inheritance? Like what are some things to maybe uh, think through? Like, Hey, have we done this? Have we prepared well enough? Or, um, or what are some things that they can do if they've really not spent much time thinking about that?
0: I think one of the big questions that couples wrestle with as they're thinking of leaving wealth to the next generation is, How much do we tell them, and when? (laughs) Mm -mm. It's kind of taboo for some families to talk about money, um, or certainly not in specific dollar amounts. Maybe in like generalities, it might be okay. I think you need to uh, make this a journey that you go on together as a family, and and share increasingly. Uh, more amounts of information and more specific details as your kids mature. One of the things I heard uh, from a client of ours is that they said, our kids really are not ready today to inherit. If we were to leave all of our wealth to them, they would not be prepared as stewards to handle that. So they've decided a, a set amount for each child they have not felt ready to tell them a dollar amount yet. They've just mentioned that there is an inheritance that will not be enough for them to quit their jobs <laughs> and never work <laughs> again. So they know that something's coming. They have maybe some kind of idea of how big or not big it is. But I think growing as that relationship grows, as those kids mature, um, getting it a little bit more specific and being more open about that really becomes an opportunity for the parents to pass down, not just assets, but also their values and their hearts around what they hope will happen with the wealth. And it doesn't mean that they'll get to control it all, but it means that at least they'll have the opportunity to, as Ron Blue says, you know, do your giving while you're living so you know where it's going. I love that phrase. It's so simple. And even if you're not ready to fully release the gift right now, um, kind of having that gifting process unfold over time and and getting it more specific and having more conversations and communicating. One of the things that I've seen as a definite pattern is when there is no communication, and then the will and testament is read by an attorney to the heirs in the room, it is a very cold moment. And there is not a lot of compassion and understanding when things turn out differently, or especially if the assets are not divided equally. Uh, there are a lot of hurt feelings that come from that, and whatever the intention was of the parent, why they maybe decided to distribute unequally, is not even known by the heirs. It just feels like a slap in the face to the one who feels slighted, and so having that communication um, upfront and and in a progressive unfolding kind of fashion, I think is really useful.
2: Jean McMeans, one of our, um, our our gift attorneys at NCF and our uh, senior vice president, um, She, uh, I've been in a couple meetings with her where she's walked with families around this um, question of like, how much do you give to the kids and to your mm-hmm. point that you had with, with a client? Um, a, a really, I think, helpful um, process for uh, mom and dad or grandma and grandpa to go through is to um, uh, she she kind of walks them through a couple different processes, and one of them is to create like a like a three by three or a three by four, depending on how many kids there are. So across the top, you write you know the um, uh, what do you hope that this money will do for this individual? What do you think this money will do? And what do you fear this money mm-hmm. will do? Mm-hmm. And then list out each kid or grandkid or inheritor that you're expecting, and and you probably know them well enough. I mean, I. I have an 11 and seven year old and I already have some, uh, think, you know, thoughts, uh, hopes and fears about what inheritance could happen to my, to, to my boys. And, and you can, you can realize that, um, by doing this exercise, um, and understanding the personality of those in your family, that the, just dividing by three, if you have three kids or three mm-hmm. grandkids, might not be the best option. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, but if you're going to have different amounts for different kids, like you definitely need to have some communication about that yeah. prior to the reading of the will. So, that was something that she really um, had talked about and something I've encouraged a lot of our families to. And I think they've really gravitated to that. And that'd be an encouragement, like as a good kind of step to do today is to think of. The other one that she talks about is, let's think about how much do they really need? Um, And let's, you can even use big numbers, right? Like, okay, we want to help with education. Okay, how much is that? You know, and we want to make sure that, you know, we help them with a down payment of a house. And okay, like you start backing into it. That number actually isn't probably that big in the grand scheme of Mm -hmm. some of this wealth that's being transferred. And so again, do we just divide by the number of kids? Probably not the best solution. I mean, at a bare minimum, maybe you, And uh, decide to insert another child and call it charity. And so instead of Mm -hmm. dividing by three, we're dividing by four, you know, lowering that number by just even adding one more inheritor charity, it's actually not going to significantly impact that overall number for a lot of families. And so that was just another thing that she kind of constantly talked about, and it might be a helpful thought to to think about. Um, But you also, um, I've heard you talk about like ditches that that families can like run into, though, as it relates to this as well. So what are some of those ditches that we can also try to avoid? Also the ones that we just talked about.
0: Yeah, let's do two ditches and one encouragement.
2: Oh, I like encouragements.
0: (laughs) So dish number one, I think I've, I've seen people try to exercise too much control from the grave. And this really... It is fear-based. It's a, it's a type of very, very detailed estate planning that's very controlling. And anytime that we find ourselves trying to control the future, it really comes from a root of fear. And we need to just repent. <laughs> There's a really fast pathway out of fear. It's called repenting and trusting the Lord. That, okay, he it's actually Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And if we really, really
1: do believe that, that all of our wealth is God's, then as we pass it on, it's still God's. It's still
0: God's. It's still God's. <laughs> and we don't need to try to control when we're not even here. That's right. And you're not going to care. I promise you that. After you're gone, if you're hanging out with Jesus, you're not going to be fretting about the, mm-hmm. the amount of money that was left where and all that. Um, and then this number two is... I have seen people just not really implement a thoughtful plan, and that is damaging to the next generation. And that also, I think, includes not communicating enough about the plan. That can be very hurtful. But, you know, just as to kind of land on a positive note and an exhortation, the Lord himself, Jesus, is the good shepherd, and he is the good shepherd of every single one of your children and grandchildren, and he will continue to mature them and prepare them to be ready to steward whatever is left to them. And he also can provide for them. So if you decide in, in, in a prayerful conversation with your spouse that you're going to leave a large amount to charity and you feel confident about that, you don't need to second guess it and question it later or have regrets later because he is the provider. He is Jehovah Jireh and the money itself is not the provider.
1: Amen, amen, and amen on that. It sounds like there's going to be a percentage of this wealth that's not passed to the heirs but to charities. How is NCF preparing to assist the givers and their heirs?
2: That's a great question. Um, you know, we are. Um, uh, we have a great podcast where we talk about it. Oh, you're listening to it right now. <laughs> no, um, uh, no. Hopefully, we are actually building out some resources for families and to think about this. You know, NCF is actually working. Um, and has has just launched um, some really significant and robust succession planning um, and testamentary giving um, options for families and using—and um, and, and by succession planning, we mean what happens after you've passed away or after you've uh, gone on to glory. We were having a conversation with a family— um earlier this week. and um uh, and they said, uh, when you graduate to glory, the um, succession plan then goes into place. And that's instructions to NCF telling us how you want us to steward the the remaining funds that are in a giving fund. Um, testamentary giving is is referenced to um like bequests that come into the will and new money coming into uh, to ncF to be given to charities. And so we have done uh, a significant, um, overhaul and, and expansion for the um, succession planning and legacy planning kind of tools at NCF. We also are are able to help with um, creating um, and ensuring the right language exists to be as efficient as possible with those those gifts that come in. And so we have a lot of great resources at NCF giving. There's there's a section on our webpage under legacy that talks about succession planning and testamentary giving. Um, we we hope to and we we love to have conversations with families beforehand and also those that are that are re- receiving um, inheritances to say like hey let's be strategic or we'd love to help you be strategic in thinking through some of these conversations our, um our giving strategies guidebook um, if you've not gone through that it actually has some really great. Um, questions to ask um, yourself, ask your family. Are are your are your inheritors prepared to receive this wealth? Are the charities that you love ready to receive this this wealth? Um, these are these are good things to think through. Are they prepared? Do they really know what your intentions are? Um, and and what kind of instructions do they have? And so, great resource that we have there. And um, and, I, and I think we will continue to see more and more resources coming out.
1: We're obviously very well prepared knowing that this is coming um, of the Great Wealth Transfer. I would even say there has been, a, our senior leadership is all about continuing to prepare us as an organization. Um, as you're seeing in these tools, the succession planning for your charitable dollars that are in your donor advice fund, but also with staff as we continue to grow as a ministry. It's exciting to see because our desire is to to walk alongside you, your financial advisors, everybody in this space to be able to put the plan that God has put in your heart into practice. Um, Rachel, we just really appreciate you being here with us today. My pleasure. We always ask at the end, is there a helpful resource um, that our listeners can check out? If I don't know if we have something just specific about the Great Wealth Transfer um, on that or any other topic that you'd like to share with our listeners today
0: just our website for my firm is WealthSQ.com. Be happy to talk with any of our listeners who have questions or want to kick around some ideas on on preparing for the next generation. We also would love to just direct them towards the CKA search tool. So if they're looking for a certified kingdom advisor in their area, uh, they can do that at KingdomAdvisors.com and look for the CKA search tool and pop in a zip code and find someone local. Fabulous.
2: Can I give two? More, can I give two more that just came to my mind? Unprepared, <laughs> unprepared, but it just came to my mind. Um, uh, I think it's Ron Blues' book, Splitting Airs. Very good book. is a really good book for um, for for Gen One that's passing on an inheritance and thinking through that strategy. So if you, if that's you, like getting that book, reading through it is very helpful. Um, and then as a as maybe an inheritor of wealth, um, the Living with with Wealth without Losing Your Soul book. Um, is also, I think, a, a really great resource that i've I've had many of our givers have actually um, said this is this is absolutely fantastic. I think that was written by Steve Perry. um and so that's uh, living with wealth without losing your soul. And we will put links to all of those things, the ones that Rachel mentioned and these books uh, in our show notes um, at the at the end of this podcast.
1: On the Generosity Now podcast, we seek to inspire, equip, and connect our listeners for generous kingdom impact and whole life stewardship. For more information on us, please check us out at ncf.com forward slash Rocky Mountains.
2: That's ncfgiving.com.
1: And our newly launched podcast website at generositynow.org. Please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. Leave us your review and share with your network. Our closing doxology today is Psalm 3711 but the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity.
2: Thanks for being here, Rachel. It's been great talking to you.
1: Yeah, you too. Thanks Thanks. for having me. Thanks for spending the day with us. It has just been a pleasure. We'll see you soon.
0: Bye-bye.